Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are so glad that you are here with us today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29. Again, that's Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29. I do want to thank uh, Daniel Fredericks for leading worship today. You know, I met him 14 years ago when he was a little kid, and just to see him sort of grow and develop, uh, it's been a it's been a blessing to me. Uh, he's normally on the drums, and he's just wanting to look to learn how to lead worship, and so uh, this is it's just been really good and and encouraging to see him grow in this way. If you signed up for the dinner eights list, uh, that is available through the um, the e news letter. They sh- it should be there. And also, uh, you can just reach out to Melanie and to find out about your your group. And um, the final announcement is concerning this this Friday. This Friday is Good Friday, and so we're gonna we're gonna celebrate Good Friday uh, here outside of the church. We have lights set up. It'll be an outside uh, communion service, and so we'd love to have you join us. We are not gonna do a video recording uh, for Good Friday. We are simply just going to to gather here. We're going to take communion with one another. We're going to sing a few songs, and it'll be a wonderful time. We will would love to have you join us uh, if you're able to do that. Uh, with that, let's pray. We have a lot of text to, to cover, and it's it's a, it's an interesting text, it's sort of technical and, and uh, important, but it's it's one that's going to, we have to wrap our minds around what's being said here as we do every week. Um, but let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, we ask, God, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would uh, help us, Lord, through um, through this passage. We ask that you would uh, help us to understand what's being said, um, that we would understand the context, that we would understand how it applies to our lives. And Father, help us to see what Paul is saying in this text. We pray that you would move in our hearts and our minds and that you would move us closer to Christ in a deeper understanding of your grace, your love, and your promise uh, to us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What I, what I am saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise has had been made. 
that now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to a promise. And Father, we do thank you for this passage. We pray that you would help us to see uh, the big picture of, of what you say here and that we would see the the implications in our own life. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're we're continuing the discussion that we started back in Genesis, or not Genesis, Galatians chapter 3. It's it's concerning Abraham's salvation, that it was always by faith. Uh, Referring back to the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis chapters 12 through 15, uh, today's passage could sort of be summarized with the three words, you know, promise versus the law. And sort of there's this, uh, this debate that Paul's pitching. He's anticipating the Judaizers sort of reaction to the things that he said already, that he's made this case from Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham, uh, when he heard God's promise that he believed God, and through that belief, God reckoned it as as righteousness, that, that he stood justified before God based on his faith, not based on his works. Uh, the law came later, circumcision came later, and so Paul, as he writes this, he's anticipating that the Judaizers would say, well, of course, the, the law wasn't in place then, but now that the law has been uh, put in place, it supersedes the things that happened with Abraham. So it's the most uh, current sort of way of life for us as humans. And so Paul's going to get into this. And in verse 15, he begins, he writes, brothers and sisters, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, Yet, when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. 
And so Paul's going to begin with a, with a human illustration, a, a practical illustration that they would have during their day. Certainly one that we have in our day also. Uh, as scholars sort of grapple over what Paul is talking about, uh, what type of agreement he's referring to, almost all conclude that what he's dealing with is a will or a, a trust that's designed to pass assets down uh, from from parent to child. And so he says, this is the this is the picture that I'm going to use in, in our in our current day that helps explain the difference between the Mosaic law and the Abrahamic covenant. So he says, first off, right away, yet when it has been ratified, that, that means, uh, you know, when you get a will today or you get your trust set up, you, you go down to the attorney's office. Normally it's a, it's a, it's a two trip sort of visit. You go down and one, you sort of talk through everything that you want and the attorney sort of adds what you need to his boilerplate template and, and they kind of go through and they make the changes and they get everything sort of pinned up. And then you come back a couple weeks later, you look at the document, and then you sign the, the document. And the attorney normally ha- is, is notary also, and so he notarizes everything or she notarizes everything. And that is when that document becomes effective. It's, it's ratified. So it's to sign the document. It's to, to, to make the document binding. As soon as it's signed, as soon as all of that happens, uh, it's it, it's a binding document. Outside parties can't change it, and certainly when the individual who is uh, the documents concerning, when they die, nobody can change it. And so this is sort of what he's saying here. He said in human relations, when we're talking about a will and trust, um, it's only a man's. We're not talking about God. We're talking about human documents that once it's been ratified, you can't set it aside. You can't add conditions to it. Um, it it's, it's not changeable. Then in verse 16, he, he's getting to the subject at hand. Now, the promises, now this word promise, you should, I, I've sort of highlighted it in one color as I went through this, and I have the law in another color, but promises and law sort of flow throughout this whole passage. And so he begins in verse 16. Now the promises, referring back to Abraham in Genesis chapters 12 through 15, what we know as the Abrahamic covenant, which dealt with God's promises concerning the land. It had the land, like there's three of them. Now it's like a pop quiz. I should have written this down. So it's dealing with the land. It's dealing with um, sort of descendants. And it's dealing with blessing. So those are the three things that God makes these promises. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Uh, he does not say, and to seeds, as one would in referring to many, but rather in referring to one, and your seed, that is Christ. Now, the, going back to the Abrahamic covenant, I keep referencing chapters 12 through 15. Uh, sort of it's given in verse uh, verses 12 this this covenant is is sort of a, is stated to Abraham and then some time goes by and then by the time we get to chapter 15 that's when it's ratified that uh, I talked about the animals that are cut in half the blood that flows down how God walked between and God makes this unilateral promise this covenant to Abraham that's totally 
the, the, the binding of the contract was totally on God. It, there was not a second party. It, it wasn't that Abraham had to fulfill this and, and do his part. It was solely on God. And so now he's referring to this, this issue of seed. If you go to, I'm not going to read there, but if you want to on your own, in, in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, we believe that this is the section that Paul is giving commentary on here. It's a, it's a sort of a, a, a technical thing that he's placed on. In your English Bibles, it might say there, um, it could say seeds or seed, likely not. It most likely will say descendants or it will say like offspring. Now, the technical sense is the word is literally seed in the singular, um, not, not, uh, it's not a, like a dogmatic position that you can say that it has to be singular. It's like the word is always in the, in the singular, like, offspring like there's no we don't use the word offsprings like offspring could refer to one offspring or it could refer to many offspring it's sort of uh the context will determine whether it's singular or plural but it's always understood to be like it's it's in the singular and so what the translations do they often refer to it as descendants this word seed as descendants in the plural, meaning the many descendants that Abraham was going to have. But Paul gives a commentary here. And the point that he's making is that the father spoke this promise to Abraham and to his seed in the singular. And, and that seed should be understood as Christ, which is the Messiah, the coming Messiah during that time, who we know as Jesus. And so he's referring back to the promise of the descendants in the Abrahamic covenant that all of these descendants that God promised that they would come through the seed that we know as Jesus, the Christ. Verse 17, he says, what I am saying is this. (laughs) Thank you, Paul, for expanding. What I'm saying is this, the law. So the Mosaic law so he's, he's going back to Abraham. Now he's speaking of the law. And he says, the law which came 430 years later. So we have the Abrahamic covenant, this unilateral covenant that God made with Abraham, that, that all of, that he would receive land, he would receive descendants, and that he'd receive blessing. He says, 430 years after that, the law came. And so when the law came, it didn't invalidate the covenant that was made to Abraham by God. So it doesn't invalidate a covenant previously ratified, sort of put into force by God so as to nullify the promise. So the law did, when the law came, it didn't nullify this, this, this covenant. Um, it, it, it can't invalidate this this unilateral promise that God gave to Abraham. Abraham's dead. It's sealed. Everything is set in motion to do. Something else comes. It doesn't invalidate um, this this promise that was made. The the point here is that the, the law is its own thing, and it's distinct from the Abrahamic covenant. The law doesn't nullify a previous promise that God made. Verse 18 
For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. So now what he's saying, he's saying is like, let's just pretend like if this inheritance that God promised to Abraham, if it could be granted through the law and the law was a system, a, a conditional system that you do these things and then you'll receive blessing. If you don't do these things, then you'll be cursed and bad things will happen to you. And so he, he's saying that if, if the law is going to replace it, it's no longer a promise. These things, the, the promise and, and law are, are mutually exclusive. It, it, they can't be both. It has to, they're totally different. So an illustration that I read in this is, let's say that I have an uncle or you have an uncle. However you want to play the story, your, your uncle reaches out to you and he says, I have a $10 million gift for you. All you have to do is to come to my house and I'll write the check and then you can take it and go on your way. It's just a gift. Now you could say, I don't believe that. That's, that sounds fishy. I'm like, it's like probably I have to listen to a sales pitch or there's going to be some conditions. I don't want to receive the gift and you go about your day and you never receive it. Or you go and you get the gift and it truly is a gift. It's, 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 it's a $10 million check and you go on your way and you're like ecstatic. This is wonderful. There's no like conditions placed on it. It's truly just a gift. Now, the other situation is that you have an uncle that calls you and says, I have a $10 million gift that I would like to give to you. Now, the condition on this is you can get the $10 million if you agree to live with me for the next 10 years to care for me and, and, as I'm, I'm dying and I have 10 years to live and I need you to, to care for me, I need you to take care of everything, I need you to do all of this system. And if you are my caregiver for the next 10 years, then I will give you the gift of $10 million. So it's totally different. And, and this is what Paul is, is likening these, the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is your uncle that has a $10 million check for you it's just all you have to do is believe and, and come receive the check, and it's yours. The law was based on a system of you doing something. And so if you do these things, then you'll receive the gift. And so he is making a huge distinction between the two, which which then leads to the, the natural question it leads to is, if that's the case, then then like why, why does the law even exist? Like what? If this Abrahamic covenant, that's a pretty sweet deal. Why in the world would the law surface 430 years later? Which is a, a, a great question. And Paul answers this in this next section, verse 19. Why the law then? It was added on account of the violations having been ordered through angels at the hand of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, but God is only one. So in chapter 3, we see what the law can't do. In, chapter, in the beginning part of chapter 3, we see that the law does not have the capacity to save. The law only has the, the capacity to, to condemn. Um, it, it shows, it shines light on issues that are already there. And... So we see here that on account of the violations, God put in place the law. 
And in many ways, the law was put in place to expose the sin that individuals have. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Far from it. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. And so he's saying that like by giving of the law, what it does, it kind of like stirs or shows, exposes the nature that is within you. It reminds me of my first trip to Singapore. And as we were disembarking any time in the military, when we go to a new country, there's sort of a briefing of the cultural norms, what are the do's and don'ts, how you handle certain things. And one of the things in Singapore was don't spit and don't chew gum. Those, are, those two things are not legal in Singapore. And in hearing it, it's, it's like, well, that's not a big deal. I don't spit really that often. Like, not, I, like I don't spit really at all. Like, I'm sure I'm spit sometimes, but I don't, I'm not like a big spitter. And certainly chewing gum, I'll take a piece of gum, but I'm not always like chewing gum. So certainly this is not a big deal. The hilarious thing is as I go out into Singapore, as soon as I was on the streets, like all I wanted to do was chew gum and I wanted to spit because I was told I, I was not supposed to do these things. So I wanted to go through Singapore chewing gum and spitting. It was the most hilarious thing that because those laws were placed suddenly within me, it was like this desire to go against them came out. And, and so Paul is saying because of this, the law has been in place to sort of to bring about this condemnation to show you your need uh, for a savior. Now, verse 20 is, is super difficult. This is like, if you go to any commentary, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. Uh, some have suggested there's like 300 different interpretations. I don't know about that. Uh, but it says now a mediator is not for one party only, but God is only one. And what the best explanation that I found, what it seems to be saying here is, um, which I think we're going to get to. Like I can't, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll come up later. Let me kind of see my notes here. Uh, at least I, I, oh, here, yeah, here it is. Um, right where we're supposed to be. Like I think it's ahead is, so the understanding on this is that when the covenant was made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, God spoke directly to Abraham and he laid out the conditions. He said everything. Then Abraham was terrified. God put him to sleep on the side and then God ratified the covenant on on his own. It was totally conditioned on God upholding both sides. Now, when the law came, we don't see this in scripture, but, but, but what we see in their belief is that it wasn't God that gave the law to Moses, but that it was it was the Jewish understanding at the time. It's not in Scripture, but it was in Jewish understanding that that angels were the one who who gave the law to Moses, and so Moses was sort of like a representation. Uh, he was sort of representing uh, the nation of Israel, and then the angels came on behalf of God, and so you have these these two, these two mediators that sort of were representing the party, not the parties directly. So with Abraham, you have Abraham and God directly making the transaction. 
with the law, it was understood in their part that that God sent angels to sort of do the transaction and that Moses represented the people and so they were mediators. Um, in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, right before Stephen was stoned, this is what he says. Acts 7, verse 53, he says, you who received the law as ordained by angels yet did not keep it. And so we just see that this is the understanding. That we're not gonna, we're not gonna camp here too long. Um, but, but it seems to be that what he's saying is that Abrahamic covenant made directly with God to Abraham. Mosaic law came using two mediators between a mediator on behalf of the nation of Israel and a mediator on behalf of God, uh, came and did this. We don't know. Verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Far from it. For if a law had been given that one was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has confined everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so what he's saying here effectively is, like we've said all along, the law cannot impart life. There, there's nothing about the law that can bring about life. The, the law can simply uh, restrain evil or be there as sort of a, a check when, when sin goes beyond it. And so, so, so the law was never able to impart righteousness. The law was never able to impart life. If it could, certainly God would have used the law in order to, to bring about this. But we're told in verse 22, the scripture has confined everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So as you try to live out the law, as you try to like live the law, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments and simplicity, like if you try to do that, you're just going to see your shortcomings and your failures and that you can't. And it's going to humble you. It's going to bring you to your knees to the place where your only option is to reach out to God in faith, acknowledging Jesus's work on the cross, that he stood there in your place so that you might have life. And so um, the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being confined being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed. I'm, I, I kind of paused there because I'm thinking I, I'm not sure if I missed something that I wanted to talk about. But kind of going back to verse 19, when we read there, why then the law? It was added on account of the violations. I think I got so wrapped up in thinking about my Singapore story. It was added on account of the violations having been ordered through the angels at the hand of a mediator. And so we see the kind of going back to the, the distinction between the two. But then it says there's this little phrase that I wanted to, that I wanted to point out. Through verse 19, having been ordered through angels at the hand of the mediator, and then it says, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. So he's kind of going back that this Abrahamic covenant, the promise was made to basically Abraham and to the Christ, the Messiah. And so the law was put in place as a temporary means 
until the seed would come. And so when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. And so then the law was sort of done away with. And and so when we come back here to verse 23, kind of just going back, getting ahead to verse 23, but before faith came. So before faith came, it's kind of like they were under the custody of the law. We were kept in custody of the law, being being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed. So they they looked forward to the Messiah by faith, and they longed for that day, but they were kept in custody. They were kept under custody of the law. And so the, the law, we're told, was sort of, um, it, it was sort of placed on them like a, like a prison guard. There's, there's two illustrations here that Paul's going to use. One is a, as a prison guard and the other is a tutor that, to kind of lead them. And, and so, um, it, 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 tra- it, it trapped people in their sin. It condemned them. And ultimately, in their condemnation and in their being trapped, it led them to faith in Christ, verse 24, where we get the freedom in Christ. Therefore, the law has become our guardian or tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by the faith, so that we may be justified by, by faith, not the faith. And, and so... Here, as, as the law kind of constrains you and, and holds you in your sin and sort of places you in the spot of like helplessness, darkness, like where there's no way out of it, you feel totally helpless, that the weight of your sin is such a, a burden. But ultimately through that, as it keeps you there, it's, it's a blessing because then the, the law, the rules ultimately lead you to Christ. And it says, but look what Jesus did for you. Look at the work that he did on the cross that he stood on the cross in your place, you should have been there, and he absorbed the wrath of God that was due you for your sin. And it's beautiful. So that we may be justified by faith, justified again, broken record I am. Justified is this legal term to be declared righteous, that you stand freed, not based on anything you do. You're, you're justified by faith that you believe that what Jesus did, you're receiving the gift, you've placed your faith in him, you trust him for his work. It's beautiful. Verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We've been set free. There's no longer the guardian. There's no longer the the, the tutor over us. You've been pushed to Christ. You receive the gift. You're set free for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We use this phrase like, oh, we're all children of God. The Bible doesn't speak that way. The, the Bible says that the people who are children of God are those who have responded to the gospel in faith. And so if you've responded to the gospel in faith, then you have been adopted into the family of God and he uh, becomes your father. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ Jesus. So just sort of reviewing here. So, but now that faith has come, now that, now that we look back to the Messiah, now that Jesus was crucified, he was buried, And then he rose on the third day and then he ascended in heaven. Now that we look back to this transaction that happened and has been offered to you, 
you, your standard position is to reject it. That's, that's our default. Our factory setting is rejection. But if you come to the place where you respond by faith and you receive the gift of salvation, we're told that through faith, we're freed from the law and we become children of God for all of you who were baptized into Christ. And now this, this is important. The, the subject of baptism is critical. Now, there's sort of two aspects to, bap- to baptism, and I don't know what you are thinking when you hear baptism. So the first aspect and the most important ba- aspect is the, 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 the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit. And, and what this is in Ephesians 1.13, we read, In him, that's Jesus, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so that word sealed. So we're told that when you hear the gospel, that moment when you believe, when you have your aha moment, and however you responded when you responded to Christ, in that very moment, we're told that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and that he seals you and he 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 holds you secure until you go stand with God face to face. And so that is the spirit baptism, when the, the spirit of God enters within you. Now, the second aspect of, of baptism flows from the first. The, the, the baptism that we think of in water is, is outward baptism. It's a, it's a symbol. It's a picture. It's like a, a, a wedding ring that uh, if I take off my wedding ring, I'm still married. If I put it back on, it, 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 it's just a piece of jewelry. And this one, I have a silicone one on right now just kind of for safety with, with stuff. Um, but the wedding ring is a, is, a, is a picture of an event that happened in my life coming up on, you know, just it was 19 years ago. We celebrated our anniversary in February. Um, and so water baptism of, of going to the water, after you believe in Christ, you go under as a picture of your old life. Uh, it symbolizes being under the custodian of, of law, trapped in sin and death. You're identifying with Jesus' death on the cross. And then when you come up from the water, it's this picture of the new life, the spirit that you have within you, uh, the freedom that you've received in Christ. And this is super encouraged. This is super important. So we see that baptism is sort of one of the first acts of, of, of obedience. Uh, for me, you know, I, I had some confusion. I was raised in the Catholic Church. I was baptized as an infant. I have no recollection of it. I had made no profession. I didn't understand the gospel. I was who knows how old I was. I have a picture. I'm guessing I was a couple months old. But that's not the picture of baptism. But that I was told all of this stuff that really ultimately confused me. And so then when I became a Christian at, you know, 20, between, you know, 21, 22 in that window, I kind of thought, well, I'd already been baptized, and then I kind of progressed along in the Christian life, and so I kind of felt like I was beyond baptism, but it was really a misunderstanding of what baptism was from the Bible. And so I started feeling convicted. I remember being going on a night dive with my buddy, and I threw myself underwater, and I was like, oh, that was just getting, you know, getting baptized. And then it wasn't ultimately, like, God was still, like, really grappling with me. And then I ran a, a, a marathon in Denver, 
and I stumbled across a, a, a pastor. I was not a pastor at the time. I was just a Navy SEAL. And I was on this run. I stumbled across a pastor on the run. And I said, you know, at the end there's water and will you baptize me? And so then he baptized me, bud, and we're still friends to this day. It's really cool. Um, but that was back in uh, August of 2001, which I, where I was baptized. So crazy, like coming up on 20 years here. And so if you have believed in Jesus as, as your Savior and you haven't been baptized by submersion, like I would strongly encourage you to get baptized. Um, reach out to me. Uh, we're hoping to do a baptism this summer. Uh, we don't know, probably, you know, probably here at the church in a, in a horse trough or something or somebody's pool. Um, but, but if you need to be baptized, please reach out to me and then we will go ahead and make arrangements to help you to be obedient to Christ in baptism. In verse 28, we read, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And so we see here that we're one in Christ. I don't, it, it, it's saying that in salvation, the, the, the playing field is level. Regardless of your background, regardless of your social setting, regardless of your gender, regardless of whatever, we are all sinners before God. We all go to the cross and we stand justified by God equally on the basis of what Jesus has done. This isn't doing, we live in this, this era where, where gender is trying to be erased or fluid or what, it's just, it's, it's mad, it's maddening. It's not even like, it's just, it's crazy to me. This isn't doing away with genders. This isn't doing away with the reality of, of things that happen in our life. What it's saying is the context is salvation. And it's a level playing field. We all enter our relationship with God through the cross. None of us have head of the line privileges. None of us have special benefits. None of us have anything. And then once we're in Christ, in the church, we, our relationship is based on what Christ has done. There are there are distinctions in gender. There are rules in gender. That's not what's being said. It's th- those aren't being done away with. The, the point is that in Christ we are one. We are one in Christ. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your social economic position in society. It doesn't matter whatever. You are a human created in Christ image, regardless of what you've accomplished or not accomplished in this life. When you come before God, it's based on what you did with Jesus alone and that we stand in him complete by faith alone. And it says, if you've done this, then we are Abraham's descendants. We are, we are linked back, connected to Abraham because he was a man who believed. We're linked into uh, the Abrahamic covenant and we're told that we are heirs according to the promise. We become children of God. It's beautiful. And so what do we do with this? First and foremost, like I've said, broken record. Our justification that you have been legally declared innocent, not guilty, through faith. You have been declared innocent based on believing what Jesus did on the cross, 
not through your good works, not through your bad works or, or, or staying out. Because like we enter in because of what Jesus had done for us and are responding to him, responding to him in faith. Are you trying to work your way to heaven or are you responding to the gift by faith? That is what we're called to do. If you have done this and you haven't been baptized, please let me know so that we can coordinate a time to get you baptized. All of this, this, this reality of what Christ has done for us is a beautiful thing. It should cause us great joy. Today is Palm Sunday. Friday is, is Good Friday. Sunday is Easter, this time of great joy and rejoicing and celebration because we acknowledge what Jesus has done for us. My prayer is that you would grow in your understanding of grace, grow in your understanding of what Jesus has done for you as your substitutionary atonement. Uh, My prayer is that we would walk in grace, live in grace, and just honor God with our lives. Uh, because of what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, God, for your word. We ask that you would uh, lead us, guide us, uh, help us to know truth, help us to understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. We pray, Father, that you would um, just help us to understand grace and help us to understand uh, what it means that you have justified us by your grace through faith. Uh, Help us to keep it simple. Help us to be straightforward with the gospel. Help us not to complicate things. We pray that you would um, remove uh, wrong thinking, wrong understanding from our minds. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge as we approach you day by day. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Well, I look forward to seeing you next week. I hope that you can return soon. I know many of you are far away. Like I, I know I scared some of you by, by saying that we don't know how long the videos are going to go. But the reality is these videos have been very helpful and it really isn't that much of a strain. And so I do look forward to hearing from you and, and staying connected. So I hope you have a wonderful uh, Easter week this week as we prepare for Easter next Sunday. And uh, for many of you, it's spring break. So enjoy the time off and the beautiful weather that we're having. So Lord bless you all. Uh, See you next week.